From BU Cares Research Center, this is Dr. Michelle Lamb and Dr. Jacqueline Kirk, and you're listening to Leaning In and Speaking Out, the Research Connection podcast. It's a podcast about the world we live in and how education can make a difference. These are conversations about curiosity and how researchers and educators are working in new ways. Each month on the show, we bring together a community member and a researcher to discuss a topic that's important to them. All right, welcome everyone. We're here beginning another episode. This episode is about culturally responsive teaching. And um, I'm here with two guests and I would like to ask them to introduce themselves. I wonder, uh, Aloy, would you like to go first? Sure. I am Aloysius Anichi. I'm assistant professor in the Department of Educational Psychology and Student Services at Brandon University. Thanks for having me. Thanks. And Sunday? Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Sunday uh, Franji. Uh, I'm a newly elected city councillor for uh, Meadows and Waverly. Thank you. Welcome. And Jackie, who are you? Hi, I'm Jackie Kirk, and I am the chair of the Department of Leadership and Educational Administration in the Faculty of Education and the co-chair of the podcast or co-host of the podcast. Not that early anymore, you know, just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's all good. Uh, And I'm Michelle Lamb. I'm also a co-host of the podcast, and I'm the director of BU Cares Research Centre it's the research center here in the Faculty of Education. I'm really excited to hear this conversation today. Uh, I was an EAL teacher for about just over a decade. And uh, I think even with those experiences, I still feel like I have things to learn when it comes to being responsive to the different cultures in the classroom. And um, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about that. And I think I'll, I'll learn something today. So I'm looking forward to this conversation and also looking forward to getting to know Aloy and Sunday a little bit more. And um, so I think if you're okay with it, we'll just dive right in. So our first question, I'm going to ask this to you, Aloy. It's the question of why you became interested in this topic in the first place, this idea of supporting culturally diverse students' learning. And also, I'd like you to maybe sketch out for us what that can look like. So there's a lot in one question, but do your best. Yeah, there are many there. Anyways, um, my attention to supporting culturally diverse students started during my experiences as a graduate student here in Canada. I remember during my classes, especially my first year, I struggled with making meaning out of some of the reading materials presented in the classes that did not resonate with my cultural background, my lived experiences, and even my religious beliefs. And at such moments, I saw myself struggling to participate in the class. And also I felt a little bit um, not truly belonging in the class because the conversations weren't meaningful to me at most of the times. And um, when I had some conversations with some other graduate students, I realized, wow, I wasn't the only person in that boat. So they shared their experiences. I had somebody from China who said that in one of her classes, it was something else because she has to translate her thoughts from Chinese to English. 
before making contributions in the class. And so by the time she is able to complete this kind of uh, quick mental process, the conversation has gone to another level. And that undermined her participation in the class. And so I started thinking, how can we support students like myself in that scenario and the other ones, even young students, who come from different cultural backgrounds studying together in the same classroom context. And then I started thinking and reading wider around that area and realized, okay, there are people who actually are talking about the same problem, especially in the US. And that is when I came in contact with this idea of culturally responsive teaching by Geneva Gay and culturally re relevant pedagogy by Lansing Billings and uh, culturally sustaining pedagogy by Paris and multicultural education by Bank. And I noticed that actually they are not mutually exclusive. They're actually thinking about the same thing. How can we support these students? And so nevertheless, I tend to gravitate more towards cultural responsive teaching because of the pragmatic way it talks about teaching and learning in the classroom. And so it is that kind of approach that uses students' frame of culture, their lived experiences, their interests as source of teaching. And so that is why I thought this might be one of the viable ways of uh, supporting students from different cultural backgrounds. Yeah, that is why I got interested in that. And I think your another question is how it looks like. Am I exactly, correct? Exactly, yes how it looks like. Well, I would say it looks differently in different areas in terms of institutions, in terms of classrooms, and even subject domains. So it might look different from elementary, high school, and different in the university. For example, one of the elementary teachers I worked with, um, in order to understand her students, gave them a project like an assignment which she called um, getting to know yourself and other students and so the assignment asked the students to reflect about their cultural background their cultural heritage who they are where they're coming from and they were even encouraged to interview some people from their from their relatives and uh, they were able to do that and present it in the class. Now, what this does is that it helps the student first to become aware of who they are, what they're bringing into the classroom, their cultural identity. And it creates opportunity for building relationship among the students because they hear stories of the other and see a little bit of connection. And for the teacher, it became opportunity to know more about it students and especially using those information in making the classroom environment relevant especially the topics to deliver experiences of the students so this might be a way to look at it or how it looks like in elementary school there are multiple other ways in the high school or even in the university we might think about an instructor setting a tone for cultural responsive teaching by introducing conversations around systemic racism, to talk about inequity, social injustice, and to talk about probably how the curriculum 
might be responsible for some of these things we see in the classrooms, which might not be obvious to a lot of people. People might talk about hidden curriculum. So having such conversations might also show the responsiveness of a teacher towards the diverse cultures. Like in my class, I teach courses around educational psychology. And I have the student talk about or understand how we are culturally socialized beings and how our cultures, our lived experiences are shaping the way we think, the way we behave. And so that understanding will help to see how what we're doing in the class might be relevant or even not relevant across cultures. And some of the assignments I give them that I consider culturally responsive is that I ask them some time to reflect on some of the concepts or the topics, how they are conceptualized in their own culture, how they're operationalized, how it is connected to their lived experiences. In some of the time, I've asked them to pick some of the ideas in the class, the theories we discuss, and solve a problem that is meaningful to them or in their communities. And so these are some of the ways I think, um, like in universities, cultural responsive teaching can take shape because it offers students to bring in the elements of their lived experiences, their cultural backgrounds, into the conversations that are happening in the class. So these are some of the ways that I think it might look like based on my personal experience. Thanks. Go ahead, Jackie. What were you going to so, say? So Sunday, um, why do you think it might be important to teach in culturally responsive ways like Aloya was just describing? Oh, well, you know what? I'm very thrilled to, uh, to know that there is such an initiative, you know, happening out there in the community. It's, you know, as we, you may agree with me that uh, we, we live in a very diverse community today, you know. Mm-hmm. Our classroom, our schools are very diverse. And, uh, and to me, that's where I see the importance of teaching culturally, you know, responsive way. It, it helps, you know, our students, you know, to relate to one another. It, it, it can create the, uh, the, uh, the participation. It, will, it can increase the participation and performance, you know, within the, the school system and also encourages the other student from cultural backgrounds you know, to, uh, to have that confidence. Uh, today, for example, like, uh, we have students of all backgrounds, including the Aboriginal. But and then you see there is a big cultural gap you know, that need to be bridged. You know? And how can that be bridged? You know, how can, let's say, uh, students from Sudan understand the Aboriginal, you know, culture and the spiritual. Yeah. So, and that's where, you know, I think it's very, very important teaching, you know, cultural uh, responsive uh, way in school. Thanks for that. And I don't know if you did that on purpose or not, but you set up our next question very beautifully. So thank you for that. But well, you mentioned uh, <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the the increase in participation and performance when students see themselves reflected in the curriculum and in the content of the class. And so I want to bring that back to you, Aloy, because you you seem to be the first person that combined 
culturally responsive teaching with self-regulated learning, which relates to that motivation and that participation piece. And so I, I'm curious about what led to the combining of those areas. So do you want to just talk a little bit about your research in that area? Yeah, of course. Um, my research over the years has been around working with classroom teachers to support student learning processes uh, with regards to empowering them to become the owners of their learning. And that is the central part of self-regulated learning, which is about empowering students to have an active role during the learning processes, which is connected to their motivation, engagement in the classroom. But during my PhD program at the University of British Columbia, I realized that research in this area tend to pay more attention on learning process, what happens within the individual students or learner, with less attention on how the culture of the individuals are actually shaping the way they think, the way they regulate their learning. I remember reading an article or a book chapter, I think, by uh, Dennis McNenny, who talks about researchers in this field situating their research within the social cultural context of the students and calling attention to having studies around self-regulation of learning involving students from different cultural backgrounds. And so I saw that as a challenge I could relate to. And the cultural responsive teaching, which we just talked about, draws attention to how culture can be shaping people's ways of life and living and learning. And so I thought about it two things. In cultural responsive teaching, sometimes it's being criticized for paying attention more on what the teacher is doing than what the students are doing. And sometimes it's being criticized for paying attention to other students, I mean students of color or African-Americans with less emphasis on the white students. And so that's another gap within that area of research. And then I said, okay, we all have cultures and we all regulate in different ways. What if we can use the ideas of self-regulation of learning as a way to support all students, including culturally diverse students, to take ownership of their learning and take up multiple opportunities that are created in the classrooms, including the culturally relevant practices. And so with that understanding, I conducted um, theoretical analysis of these two areas of research. And what I found was interesting that actually, these two areas talk about the same thing from different perspectives. They're all talking about the individual student in the class, how the person could be supported to bring in who they are in their learning. And then also I realized that each of these two areas of research have practices that when put in place will support student motivation and engagement. For example, they all talk about the value of choice provision to the students in the way they demonstrate their learning. And so thinking about this synergy between these two areas of research, I ended up developing a framework that integrated them. And I call the framework a culturally responsive, self-regulated learning framework. 
And so it is a framework that integrates practices from these two areas with more attention to using self-regulatory learning in a culturally responsive way to support students. And the framework becomes, as it may be in Canada, the first that is deliberately designed to support teachers in bringing these two areas of research into the classroom context. And so that is the reason behind my development of this uh, framework. And I think your question again is about my research in the area. Is, am I correct? Yes. Yes. Do I talk about that at the same time? Yeah, you, sure, if you like. I just want to say, though, that I think that's so brilliant because a lot of times teachers feel uh, there's sort of that reaction like, ah, I'm only one. I only know one language. How can I teach all these different, you know, linguistically appropriate um how can I engage all of these different languages in my class? Or I only understand one or maybe two cultures. And then I want to respond to all of these different cultures in ways that are honoring. And so teachers feel like they can't do that. But what you're suggesting is really allowing the students to have the power to regulate their own learning. And that seems like that would really address that issue. So please continue. <laughs> Well, and just to add on to that, Michelle, I think Mm -hmm. teachers often feel like each time we come out with something new like this, that it's another add on. And um, I really like the being able to see how those two things go together, because I think self-regulation and culturally responsive um, instruction is are two things that we want to try to do in classrooms. But um, I think even. I think it's really practical to be able to show teachers, oh, yeah, they work together. You know, I think that feels better. Exactly. The framework lays it out well how they can do that. I think the only thing uh, teachers can, you know, think about more is being intentional and deliberate in doing that. They do some of these things in different ways in the classes anyways, but being intentional to bring these two areas in order to maximize the benefits of the areas of research is something I found uh, very interesting. And with that, I talk about my research with regards to this framework. And so like I said earlier, I work with teachers. So my research is always school-based. So we design practices in the classes that builds on the understanding the teachers have about their students in a way that will empower them, increase their self-agency, and as well as their engagement and motivation. And so after designing these practices with the teachers, actually the teachers take the lead, I'm just there to support them. I collect multiple sources of information ranging from the instructions of the activities teachers are providing for the students, their lesson plans, I observe the classes to see what they're doing. I take pictures and copies of student work at different stages to see how they're progressing. I also have interview with the students to get more information about the experiences with regards to what the teachers have designed. I also interview the teachers to learn a little bit more about their own perceptions, about the experiences implementing this framework and uh, using mixed method approach to study, the findings have been very interesting. 
the teachers themselves say things like, oh, this framework helped me to understand my students the way I've never known them because it allowed the student to tell the teacher more about who they are. And also they made connections between an increment in students' motivation and engagement to the practices they initiated following the guidelines of the framework. And that was also something I observed in the classes. So most of the times I observed the students in the classes, I realized that when they had opportunities to talk about classroom activities in relation to their experiences, they are excited to share that because they see their voices being represented. They see themselves being involved in the whole process. And so that is how and what my research in the area has been, showing me actually that this framework is working if people or teachers or educators will deliberately design activities based on the principles laid down there. So Sunday, to bring you back into the conversation, um, can you see ways that teachers and administrators um, and community members um, could use the information that Eloy is talking about um, to make our classes better, to make our community a more uh, maybe open place? Uh, definitely. One thing I wanted you guys to know that is um, I don't talk much um, and I like to always be very short and precise. <laughs> so, yes, it is. Uh, there are ways, you know. Uh, I think to me the answer is would be uh, we need to find ways to, uh, to uh, include or incorporate, you know, the uh, culturally responsive. Uh, ways of teaching into our schools, teaching uh, curriculums. You know, that is really, to me, that is very important. If we can find that channel, you know, and include it there, because it's going to help our teachers and uh, the school administrators, you know, to uh, to relate to their students, to us, Dr. Aloy just, you know, uh, outlined it and, you know, have that, uh, have that uh, understanding of, uh, of different cultures of their students. Thank you. Um, Eloy, do you want to answer that question as well? Or do you have some things that you'd like to add to that answer? Sure. Um, when Sunday was uh, talking about school administrators uh, trying to be relevant to the cultures of the students, I thought of something again with regards to that framework. Now, the framework has three components. The first one is called culturally um, foundational practices, which is about understanding the students, who they are and what they're bringing into the context. The second one is about design practices. So based on that information about the knowledge of the students to design the environment that is culturally inclusive. And the third part is dynamic supportive practices. So these are practices in place as students learning on fools, like feedback, um, self-assessment, peer assessment. So they all help students in learning. Now I'm thinking about administrators and even in corporate bodies, I think the same idea can apply. So take, for example, a principal of a school can first begin by knowing the teachers. Who are my teachers? 
What are their strengths? What are they bringing into the school? And so based on that knowledge to make the school climate in a way that is relevant to these teachers, especially when you have teachers from different countries teaching in the same institution, and then to support their teaching by making sure you provide them necessary feedback to help them grow. So even in corporate bodies, I see the same framework happening there so that we be able to design inclusive workforce wherever we find ourselves, even in the university. So that's something I think um, uh, Sunday's response, it kind of brought out in me thinking about the framework in the different areas beyond education. Thanks. I just have a thought. Um, I, I did a sort of identity mapping exercise with some of my students. This was a long time ago. They were adults and they were all very new to Canada, like within a year, I would say. And um, I had someone who made this map. It's sort of a basic, you know, graphic organizer style with their name in the middle and then, you know, who they were. And so this was a very uh, beginner English class. I made an example on the board, you know, Michelle, mother, teacher, words that they were familiar with. And um, I had a student who made one and it she wrote the word photographer after looking it up on her phone. And then she stopped and she said, in China, I am photographer in Canada. And then she didn't have the words to describe what she wanted to say. So she just said in Canada, no. And it really made me think about how identities are changing when people are coming to Canada. And so I wonder about that within your framework, when you're thinking about identities and belonging and culturally responsive practice, is there room for that kind of shift that in, in my own country, I was this person here, my identity is shifting and still becoming something different or something new as I make new friends or as I have new interests. So how would you look at that as something that's changing over time? That's a good question. Um, Culture, we know, is not static, um, it's fluid, it changes over time, and cultures come in contact with each other. And in the same way, I think people's identity can grow more than what they know about themselves. Because when we encounter people, they might bring us something you know, we don't know before them. And so within the context of my friend work, I think that it creates opportunity for that growth. Like the example I gave with a teacher who asked the students to describe themselves, even the one you just gave. So by having conversations with other students from different cultures, one might be able to see something that resonates with them they never thought about. And also being in a new country, there's that room to know what is happening where you are because we are social beings so where we live and work has impact on the way we think as well which i've mentioned already so when people find themselves in a new environment even in a new class which was part of my experiences they are open to imbibe the new things but again it depends on how the teacher is able to structure the classroom to allow such conversation and such new ideas and identities to emerge. I think that was a really good answer. Thank you. Um, 
So my last question really is uh, around the idea that we know that there's benefits to this kind of approach. We know that it increases engagement and motivation. And so why isn't this very common? Why isn't everyone teaching this way? So I guess I'm asking about barriers or challenges to implementing this. Well, uh, let me break the silence. (laughs) I think there might be multiple layers of reasons. Um, One might be knowledge about how to do it. Um, I said this because when we think about what is happening around us, we perceive things through our cultural filters. Mm -hmm. And when teachers, educators are not aware of the different cultures and how they think and relate, that can make it challenging for them to attend to the needs of these students. I'll give a practical example to drive my point home. Let's think about the concept of respect. Let's imagine Jennifer as a student, a Canadian, in in a class that is multicultural. Jennifer, in order to respect the teacher, looks the teacher into the eyes while answering questions in the class. Ruby from Nigeria, in order to respect the teacher while answering questions in the class, looks downwards. The same concept of respect, commanding different behaviors because of the way students are socialized in their sociocultural context. Now, if a teacher is not aware of these nuances, might misrepresent and interpret Robbie's action as being disrespectful, when in actual fact, Ruby was being respectful of the teacher. And so this knowledge is something that seemed not to be provided to the teachers during their teacher preparatory program on how they would teach in multicultural classroom context. And so that is one of the barriers, I think, that is within this area, that there are many teachers who are willing to teach in a way that is relevant to the student cultures, but they don't know how. And that is something we can take back to the teacher education program. Let's take another instance to the next level. There was a time I was thinking about, actually when uh, Sunday was talking about the diversity in our country here, I was asking the question, do we have teaching force that is commensurate to the diversity of the students we have in the schools? I think that might be another barrier mm-hmm. because people who tend not to have experience of being in other cultures to understand how things happen in other cultures might find it difficult to relate with students from other cultures. And so I think the knowledge and the tools to teach in a cultural relevant way is something that might be lacking among the teachers. And I'm trying to make that connection to what they know 
with regards to that idea before teaching. However, that barrier can be broken in some ways by teachers being deliberate, like I mentioned, to think about their own cultural bias and how their teaching is being influenced by their own experiences and be open to different cultures, understanding different cultures and how to support students in a way that is effective to their learning. So I think it's all about the knowledge of what it takes to do that and then the willingness to be deliberate in supporting students from different cultural backgrounds. I agree with you. Um, there are two things in addition to that that I think um, are limitations to the amount of culturally responsive teaching that I do. One is that our world is so busy and my time is so limited. And when I'm in limited time, I go back to what do I know? And what can I do fast that I know is going to be successful in my classroom? And often I haven't thought broadly enough about it when I get into that situation. Um, and the other part is simply exposure that I just don't know. Right. And so then every time I'm exposed to another diversity, I get to be a little bit stronger. Um, and I, I think those are the two things that probably for most teachers, um, I really care about making a difference. I, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I care about making a difference. Um, but sometimes I just don't know. And other times I'm just too busy to actually get it done um, in like fully to the extent that I should be going. Um, and yeah. Those are big obstacles. Um, I had the experience of teaching a class on truth and reconciliation. And um, truth and reconciliation isn't actually my area, but change leadership is. And so it was a class on change leadership and truth and reconciliation. And I was a little bit afraid of the truth and reconciliation part. So um, I decided that students in the class um, could do sort of an inquiry and ask their own questions and go where they wanted to go with it. But the outcomes were amazing um, because I think it actually carved time out for them to concentrate on those things. And otherwise I think they hadn't been taking time just like me. And so the changes that I think that it made in teachers practice um, was very significant. Like the stories that I heard of the things that they did in their classrooms during the time of that course that we were taking um, was really significant things. But I really, that was one of the things that I sort of chalked it up to was, ah, but you had a university class that you paid for that you had carved out time that you were going to work on it and you had to do it because there was the accountability of the assignments. So then big change was possible. But I think often we don't carve that time out for teachers. I'll just yeah, uh, yeah. add my point there. Go ahead, Dr. Iwan. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Sunday, please. Okay. I'll just add uh, what I think here. You know, uh, again, I would say that uh, it has a lot to do with our education system. 
you know, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure uh, teachers would be more willing, you know, to expand their uh, their knowledge and you know, and understanding other cultures and within their school diversity. But uh, sometimes the uh, the school the education system we have put barriers, you know, into uh, into expanding that knowledge. So that's what I think. I come from you know the same background. I 18 years ago when I arrived in Canada, <laughs> I literally had zero English skill. Mm. Zero. I came here alone with no family here, no one, and with no with no knowledge of you know the language skills of this country. I struggled a lot, and it took me so long, you know, to. But I think my uh, persistence were just push kept pushing me to you know to uh, to integrate myself and, and understand the culture here. But it was a lots of work, you know. But if we, if there are people in the community today like us that talk about this topic, you know, I think it would make it easier on so many, you know, uh, uh, newcomers that come to our country, you know, and wanted to be part of, you know, the community, wanted to integrate and, uh, and you know, and understand lots, but uh, we, of course, we have to do, you know, major conversations on our school system. Hello, yeah, I think that's um, something very important. And uh, Sandra, I give you a thumbs up for your persistence, um, getting to hear your experience. Um, I know it wasn't easy for you from what you just described. And that is also similar to some other students. And I hear Jackie representing some of the teachers who really would want to make this difference, but the knowledge is lacking. So Jackie, now you've known there is a framework that makes it easy. Is this something you may want to try in your class? <laughs> I will. <laughs> I will. Um. <laughs> Yeah, we should we should do a combination there, Aloy, because you could help me frame my class around your framework and I would love to try it. Um, I had a I had an experience just last weekend with students. I'm doing an advanced research methods course in duo ethnography and um, I had uh, one pair of um, participants. Uh, who were from different cultures and they chose not to talk about culture or to talk about race. They chose to talk about gender. Um, But it was really interesting to see how the cultural piece came into their um, discussion. And like Michelle, I did, I started off the duo ethnography with an identity project. I wish I had mine here because I did it along with them, but I had them do a paper bag project where they wrote the identity on one side that they want to share with the world and the identity on the other side that they don't want the world to know. And then to put some objects into the bag that would help them to tell their stories because duo ethnography is a storytelling methodology. And um, after the first set of interviews, 
one of that pair came back and said, whoa, Jackie, that was intense. And so I know that it was working, right? Like I know that they were getting to the issues and they were really excited about the things that they had learned um, by the end of the weekend. Uh, And so, yes, absolutely. Sign me up. I think we should also put um, underneath the description of this episode, we'll put a link, Alloy, to your framework or to any other research that will be good for listeners to be able to access. So we'll make sure that people can have that. And then I just want to open it up. If there's anything else we want to share, I want to highlight, I know, Alloy, you've gotten some awards for this research. So I don't want to put you on the spot to like, you know, but I also think we should share that with our listeners. So do you want to just briefly talk about your awards is that is that too awkward um a little bit because of my cultural background ah, there you go. where i come from uh, people normally uh, talk about the achievements um sometimes people look at it as blowing your own trumpet and lack of humility um I, i'm in a kind of cultural dilemma right now but anyways, um, since you started the conversation, okay. uh, probably I talk about it with every sense of humility. Um, the framework I developed, the one I talked about, I did that in 2017. And in 2018, I presented a pilot study that came out of it uh, during the American Educational Research Association annual meeting, AERA in New York. And uh, surprisingly, the research received um, graduate student research award, recognizing the novelty of the framework within the research area. And um, I conducted another research as a follow-up for my dissertation, which I defended in 2018. And in 2019, I received an email from Canadian Association for Educational Psychology telling me that my dissertation won the award of the best dissertation in educational psychology in Canada. I'm like, are you kidding me? And um, that was something of interest in terms of telling me that this new area is actually needed and that is being recognized. And this same research also attracted a grant from European Association uh, for Learning and Instruction Early uh, for a research visit to Finland, still to expand my the way I think and conduct research in this area. Perhaps if you have some links to articles about those reward, awards, we could put them in the show notes too okay that way the the authors of the awards can can do the bragging it's not coming from you it feels better yeah yeah sorry for asking the question puts you on the spot there um I no, i'm just that. trying to integrate in the into the, my new culture <laughs> uh, for counselor sunday as the first black city counselor here in brandon do you have any anything you want to add from that perspective Oh, really, not a lot, you know. It's the same thing. It's, uh, 
we come from those uh, culture background. We're talking too much. Self-talking is just like, you know, uh, nobody cares about it. But to be honest with you, uh, I think me being the first black counselor uh, for Brandon here has a bit to do with the topic we're talking about right now too, you know, uh, and uh, how can we teach, you know, uh, students in classroom to becoming who they want to be, you know, about the, uh, the opportunities this country has to offer about, you know, the kind of help they can get, right? And as I said, I came to this country with nothing and I, I, I work hard and uh, even though I live mostly in Winnipeg, but uh, for the last three, close to four years now, Brandon has become a home and, you know, getting into this community, uh, uh, it was, really, you know, one of the reasons uh, motivated me to get involved. Uh, you know, this city, this community is growing and, and it's becoming a diverse community. And when we talk about diversity, then we, it has, you know, to take the right path of it, you know. So, now being uh, in in a, in a city council as the first black person to be elected here in the Westman area, you know it sent out a, you know uh, a, a clear message that okay you know what we have to keep working toward our diversity in this community and, and we have to be more open you know to. Uh, to understand our cultural backgrounds and you know who we are and where we go, so it's that's pretty much about it, really. You know, I come from a family of uh, politicians. You know, my dad was a politician, and and I think it runs in my genes too. So it was not a, a coincidence. You know, it, it runs in my genes, and lots of probably. 75% of my family members are involved in politics back home. But back home politics is something different. I'm pretty sure Dr. Aloino won't know about it. And, uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm very, very grateful, you know, to, uh, to be actually the first uh, black city councilor for, for our city here. And it's, it's going to open lots of doors, you know, for lots of young people who are inspired to be who they are in the future, for sure. Thank you. I love that. Yeah, Sunday. Go ahead, Eloy. Yeah, it's interesting hearing how, will I say, your family background influenced some of the choices you're making with regards to politics. And I smiled because it's like a similar thing in my own case. My grandfather was a head teacher. My parents were teachers, and I think that also <laughs> ran into my van to becoming a teacher. And at this point, I will also want to recognize something I didn't talk about in the word, um, that those things were possible because of my mentors. And so I would love to acknowledge them, especially my 
dissertation supervisor, Deborah Butler, as well as my uh, supervisory committee members, uh, Alison Hardwin, Nancy Perry, and Samson Nashen. I think they believed and they saw the need to support diverse students to become who they are, who they want to be, just like Sunday mentioned. And that was part of the reason for me, I noticed that we are very supportive in helping in shaping my thinking about the framework and uh, its implication with regards to classroom application. And so I really want to uh, acknowledge their support and their input, which made all those things possible. Thank you. Well, I think that's it for me. I just want to say a huge thank you to both Dr. Anichi and to Counselor Sunday. And uh, I've just really enjoyed hearing from both of you. And uh, so a huge thank you for your time and for sharing your knowledge and your expertise with us. Thank you so much. And one small thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks to all of you.